the Hope for the Animals podcast, sponsored by United Poultry Concerns. I'm your host, Hope Bohannock, and you can find all our episodes by going to our website, hopefortheanimalspodcast.org, and you can reach me at my email, hope at upc-online.org. I would love to hear from you. Today is all about fishes. I will be interviewing the president of the first organization focused on fish advocacy, Mary Finelli of Fish Feel. You know, it's it's really interesting to have the perspective of 30 years of animal advocacy that I do and to see the evolution that we are have gone through and that we are going through. Our culture is inherently speciesist. And even in animal rights of all places, there has been speciesist tendencies over the years. Speciesism, of course, is the false belief that one species is dominant over the other or uh, has more importance than another. So back in the early days of the movement in the 1980s, when it came to farmed animals, the focus was on cows and pigs pretty much cows and pigs only. And hardly anyone talked about the chickens who were overwhelmingly killed in way higher numbers than the cows and pigs. Well, Karen Davis put in motion the ideas that would change that. She founded United Poultry Concerns, Of course, UPC is this podcast sponsoring organization, and she founded UPC in 1990. UPC is dedicated to chickens and other birds in food production and and all forms of exploitation. And it raised the awareness that chickens were being ignored. Fast forward to today, and chickens have really taken their rightful place among the other farmed animals that are worthy of our respect and protection as being worthy of our respect and protection. At least in the animal rights movement, we still have a long way to go with the general public. But it is widely talked about now in the movement, in the animal rights movement, that we should put chickens to the forefront because they are killed in such massive numbers. And they are 98% of the land animals killed for food. Now, notice that I said land animals. That caveat is there because the number of fish killed each year far outnumbers even chickens. In fact, there are more fish killed each year than the number of humans who have ever existed on earth. It's staggering. But if you look at vegan literature or vegan education websites, fish are often absent we don't see them, we don't talk about them. Our speciest worldview has left them out of the conversation. And when they are talked about, it's generally in the context of how fishing is impacting the oceans. I've been to so many vegan talks over the years, and so often the only time fish are mentioned is in the context of the environmental piece, when we're talking about the environment and the impact on the oceans. And and that's, of course, incredibly important. But what about the fish? 
the individual fascinating, beautiful fishes. But things are changing. And just in like the last five years, there's been a lot of energy focused on fish. It kind of is running parallel to this wave of scientific information that's coming out about fish and the complexity of their lives. And now advocacy organizations are acknowledging that we need to bring fish more into the spotlight. And There's now dozens of Facebook groups focused on fish advocacy. There's full organizations, Fish Feel being the first, but now there's a few more that have formed. So Mary of Fish Feel is a wealth of information on fishes, and I do want to get to the interview soon. But first, I want to tell you a story. It's my favorite fish story from Jonathan Balcombe's wonderful book, What a Fish Knows. And it's about two goldfish, Blackie and Big Red. So Blackie and Big Red are two goldfish. Blackie was a small black goldfish, and Blackie had been born a little wonky. He could barely swim. He couldn't swim properly. He kind of just bounced around the bottom of the tank. And Blackie had a buddy in the tank, and that was Big Red. And Big Red was a larger, kind of reddish-orange goldfish. And when it was mealtime, and food was placed at the top of the tank, Big Red would swim down, and he would scoop Blackie up onto his back, and he'd swim up to the top where the food was, and he would let Blackie eat his fill of food. And then when Blackie was full, Big Red would gently put him down back at the bottom of the tank and then Big Red would go and eat. And I just, I love this story because, okay, so what's going on here? Big Red is showing so much uh, uh, emotion here. He is showing compassion and kindness, friendship, empathy, caretaking, selflessness, generosity? Are these attributes you would have ever thought of for a fish? Probably not. But now you know Blackie and Big Red's story. So if Big Red and Blackie are compassionate and conscious, how can we cause the suffering and death of trillions of sentient, self-aware individuals? Let's learn more from Mary. So I want to bring in our guest now. Today we have Mary Finelli, and she is the founder and president of Fish Feel, the first organization focusing on promoting the recognition of fish as sentient beings deserving of respect and compassion. Mary also chairs the Save the Rays Coalition. She has a Bachelor's of Science in Animal Science and has been active in animal rights advocacy since the mid-1980s. Mary produced Farmed Animal Watch, a weekly online news digest sponsored by numerous animal protection organizations, and she now focuses on fishes. So welcome to the podcast, Mary. Well, thank you so much for having me, Hope. 
Yeah. And it's great to talk to you. We, Mary and I get to see each other at least once a year at the National Animal Rights Conference, usually uh, when she's tabling for Fish Feel and I am for United Poultry Concerns. But this year, well, last year, 2020, we of course didn't see each other because there was no conference and that was sad. And so I miss you, uh, but it's great to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) Great to talk with you too. Yeah. So let's start with you. You've been vegan and in the animal advocacy space for a very long time, since the 80s. What's your vegan origin story? When and why did you go vegan? What got you into activism? What's your story? Well, I've always been crazy about animals all my life, just fascinated from as long as I can remember. I was always just so enamored with animals. And uh, when I was like in in high school, I read, uh, I, I was, you know, always interested in vegetarianism, but I didn't know anyone who was a vegetarian. And when I was in high school, I read a biography of Mahatma Gandhi. And I figured if he can do it, I can do it. <laughs> so I, I did go, um, well, I, I actually gave up all other meat except as it would be, as you'd have it fish. That was the one animal I kept eating. And I actually ate more fish then because you know, I wasn't eating the other animals. Um, and then it wasn't until I read Diet for a Small America and then I went vegetarian and I was vegetarian for about 10 years. And then at that time, that was in the mid seventies. And there was no, to my knowledge, there was no such thing as animal rights. At least I'd never even heard of the concept. So uh, in the early eighties, well, it was actually the mid eighties. I read about PETA taking over a, a laboratory in Maryland. And that was first I heard of any such thing as that. And I was just, you know, just amazed that there was such a thing. So I wrote to them and they sent me a copy of Animal Liberation, which I read. And it was just, it was like all your nightmares come true. Mm. So, so then even after that, I still wasn't vegan, but I moved to Washington, D.C. because I wanted to get involved in animal rights. And that seemed to be where all the, so many organizations were headquartered. So I moved to Washington, D.C. and got involved with PETA and a few other organizations and then then quickly became vegan. So now you are focusing on fish. So I want to start by dispelling just some of the myths. You know, fish, of course, do feel pain and they have complex emotion. This has all been scientifically documented and confirmed. So tell us what you've learned about fish by studying and focusing on them and, uh, and, and a- around pain and fear and emotion and all these things that most people don't think fish experience, but now we're learning and we know that they do. Yes. Well, you know, initially when I started the organization, I, I knew very little about them myself, really. I just realized that, you know, they were by far the largest number of animals being harmfully exploited and um, receiving the least attention, even from the animal protection community and, and suffering some of the worst abuses. So I, I just, I remember Henry Spiro was always saying that we should try to, you know, go for the largest number, help as many animals as possible, which certainly makes sense. And so he was really pushing the animal protection community to help farmed animals who were really not being given much attention at all. So uh, for years and years, I worked primarily focusing on farmed animal issues. And even though, you know, it was touching on fish, fish farming and, and other fish issues, it, it just, <laughs> I was just oblivious, I guess. It didn't, it really didn't, didn't hit me until I realized that, you know, here we were just ignoring them. So 
with no good reason whatsoever to be ignoring them, especially when so many fish issues touch on other animal issues. So I just thought, well, somebody should start the organization. So I, I hemmed in hard for about two years and then I started it. And I, I just wish I had started it earlier. But of course, once I did start it, I started reading as much as I could about them and learning as much as I could. And every day I'm learning more and more just how amazing and, and fascinating and admirable they are. So a big way to easily learn a lot about them in a, in a short period is uh, Jonathan Balcom's book, What a Fish Knows, is really a, a treasury of information. So that's a great way to really come up to speed on a lot of the issues. And um, every day, you know, I go through the news and I post articles of interest uh, and actionable items and all sorts of things onto our um, Facebook page. So every day I'm learning more and more about them and just, just what amazing beings they are. So, yeah, you mentioned that you started the first organization focused on fish, Fish Feel. So when did you start this organization? And you kind of touched on why, but can you expand a little bit on why you think it's important to focus on fish? Yes. Uh, Well, we started it in 2013. And I had been working in a in the farmed animal field, dealing with farmed animal issues. But even even there, even though they constitute the largest group of farmed animals, they still were being given so little attention. So I just thought that they really needed to be their issues publicized and, and more attention brought to them. So um, just started the organization and tried to promote it as much as possible and promote fish issues as much as possible and go to different outreach events and try to get other animal protection organizations to increase their advocacy for fishes. Yeah, it, it is amazing how uh, we're focused on food animals, but we hear so little about fish and they are caught in the largest numbers. I mean, they are uh, killed in the most, you know, in the trillions. So so I want to talk about wild-caught fish first. How are fish caught and killed in the ocean? Well, there are primarily three main ways of commercial fishing. And one is netting, where they have these huge nets and they put them out in the ocean, I mean, giant nets, and just bring back up whoever happens to be down there. Very indiscriminate. Well, fishing in general is, is indiscriminate, very indiscriminate by its own nature. So they haul up all these this huge catch of fish and then they they keep whatever they are in, their intended targets and throw back that are dying um, whenever they're not interested in keeping or if they've met their quota and they, they're not allowed to catch anymore, they'll throw them back dead and dying. And it's been estimated that the, the in the global catch, 40% of it is so-called bycatch or by kill. So it's just huge numbers of fishes being caught and other animals being caught and killed. Another way is long lining, where they have these long, long lines that they put out along the surface of the water with thousands of hooks. And again, very indiscriminately catching whoever happens to come along and catching and killing them. And another one is gill nets, where they have these long, long nets that they hang vertically in the water and again, catching whoever happens to come by. So it's just massive killing and so much of it is unintended killing you know animals that they're not going to use they're not really trying to catch and they throw them back again dead and dying just really desertifying the oceans just wiping out aquatic animals another one is trawling where they have these nets that they drag along the bottom of the ocean catching whoever's down there and also destroying coral and other habitat yeah kind of like clear cutting the ocean floors yes precisely yeah Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I just want to go back to, you know, the, the question of do fish feel pain and fear and emotion because being caught in these nets, I mean, it's got to be so scary and a horrible experience than the way they're killed. So when you're caught in the nets, they're hauled up and then how do they die? It must be absolutely terrifying. When they're doing the nets, hauling them up, a lot of them get crushed from the weight of the other animals on top of them. Oh. And then, then, or if they're deep fishing, they'll pull them up and the, the, the pressure change is so great that these animals basically implode and their, their organs will come out of their bodies. But if they, any that come to the top that are surviving, then of course they're suffocating. The way they kill them is extremely inhumane. They'll um, either like gut them alive or put them on ice and just slowly let them suffocate, which just prolongs their suffering. Some of these ships are just these huge trawlers that can process right on the ship. So they'll catch the fish and process them right there. And then they can, they have freezers, so they can freeze them. And they can actually be out at sea for months or even, well, for months and possibly a year or even longer because they have supply ships coming and bringing them supplies and taking the catch back. So these ships can be out there for a long, long time, just continually killing. Yeah. And I, and I want to go back to a point you made about the decompression of fish, just to kind of clarify, fish have a bladder that fills and decreases as they go up and down to, for buoyancy, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. And that bladder, if they're pulled up quickly against their will, the bladder then can, you know, erupt basically and come out of their bodies or, or, or erupt their organs. And it's just a, a horrible, horrible way to die. It's a painful thing to happen, having this decompression of their bodies and these um, bladders exploding inside them, basically. Right. It's called barotrauma. Ah, okay. Yeah, horrible. Uh, and 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 I know that there's been studies about that, and you know what happens to the fish, and it's just a, a gruesome list of of injuries and horrible things that happen from that. Right. If you mm. go on to Google Images and and search for barotrauma, you can see photographs of just how horrific it is. Mm. Barrow, and how do you spell that? Um, B A R O trauma. It's okay. all one word. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And also just to touch on, you mentioned how the ships can stay out at sea for months, you know, at a time. The fishing industry is notorious for slavery as well and for keeping people, forcing people to stay on these ships to work with no pay. That is a horrible thing that happens in the industry as well, right? Yes. Fishing industry is pretty notorious for human slavery. And uh, again, since these ships are out there for a long time, they, they basically trick people into going out. They have you know, no idea what they're really signing up for. And they go out there and then they're largely at the mercy of these captains. The Associated Press did a investigation a couple of years ago and they actually won the Pulitzer Prize for the investigation. I think it was 2016. And they saw that some of these ships actually, if they were to go back to port, they actually took these guys and, and there's men and boys and took them to a remote island and put them in cages till they came back and brought them back again. So it's very literally slavery. And a lot of that catch is sold here and in other Western countries. It's basically untraceable. They sell it as pet food or as human food. And, you know, there there's an organization, Environmental Justice Project, and they've been following this for years and trying to expose these abuses. And they, you know, they have documented all kinds of horrific physical abuse and rape and, and even murders. Um, the New York Times did a series on it a few years ago and really just told just how horrendous it is. That's terrible. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so yet another good reason to not eat fish. And, you know, if they have so little regard for human life and imagine how horrible they treat the fish, you know? Oh, totally. If you're, if you eat seafood, you may well be eating slave caught seafood. Wow. It's also in the shrimp industry with the processing. They have documented just extreme human rights abuses in the shrimp processing industry. Wow. Awful. So I want to ask you about farmed fish as well, aquaculture. This is really on the rise now. It's a, it's a growing industry. Can you tell us what aquaculture is and how fish suffer on fish farms? Yes, well, it's basically factory farming at, at sea for the most part. You know, they have these huge pens that they keep fishes um, confined in, and they're very crowded and given all kinds of antibiotics and other chemicals to try to keep them alive because, of course, in these crowded, filthy conditions, disease runs rampant. There's, in addition to fish feces, there's um, uneaten food and all all kinds of other pollution in these pens that they're in. And uh, the fish are, you know, kept in such such a natural condition. It's very stressful to them. So there can be aggressive fish and the other fish really can't get away from them. So there's a lot of injuries. And lice is rampant, sea lice is rampant in these facilities, which can also spread to wild fish. There's documented deformities. And then, you know, the way they're they're handled is very rough, rough handling, and again, very inhumane slaughter methods. They're exposed to all kinds of weather. And uh, if there's bad storms, they can be killed by that. They're exposed to all kinds of pollution. If they have a red tide, there's no getting away from that. You know, they cannot escape from these elements. Also, if they do get out, if the net gets cut or a storm destroys the pen, something like that, they can go out and compete with wild fish. And possibly it's possible they might even interbreed with them, which would be problematic for the genetics of the wild fish. It's just it's factory farming of fishes. It's, there's nothing humane about it. It's also not helpful for consumers because they're eating all these anti, you know, fish who are treated with antibiotics and parasiticides and all kinds of other chemicals. So, it, you know, it's just a, a very cruel unhealthful way to to obtain food. Yeah, I was able to visit a fish farm. I've been to a couple of fish farms and this one in particular, I remember I was walking up and you see these tiny pins. I mean, they're like maybe a little bigger than a big uh, uh, hot tub. And as I was walking up, it just looked black. I mean, the water just looked like mud. It was so black. And as you're walking up, you realize, I mean, the, the water is moving though. It's really, there's a lot of activity and it's because there's so many fish packed in there and they're just on top of each other, uh, just in their own muck and waste. And, you know, it was, ugh, it was awful. Um, was that hope, was that a land, land-based pen? No, they, well, they were connected to a large body of water. Like they were on the shore of a lake basically that was connected to the ocean. This was up in Oregon. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah. And and you could tell the difference of the color of the water, you know, because all the pins, the small pools that the fish were in were kind of black and muddy. And then the body of water that it was right on was blue and clear. Yeah, it was, ugh. Oh yeah. And they've shown that, you know, underneath these pens, they've just totally destroyed the habitat underneath whatever the environment is underneath because of all this, Um, debris and pollution falling down there. Yeah. We had a young woman on recently on one of the podcasts that 
uh, had done an undercover investigation of a salmon hatchery or salmon farm. And she mentioned something about that there were a lot of uh, deformities and fish that were born, you know, connected and conjoined and things like that and other deformities and, and illnesses. And I wondered, I don't know if you know, but why is that? Is that because of the breeding? You know, I'm not sure. It could be the breeding. They're, they're bred so intensively for select traits. Right. Um, it could also just be the conditions they're in. I'm not sure exactly why, but there are videos showing, you know, the deformities are spinal deformities and jaw deformities and all kinds of deformities they can have. Yeah, that's what she was saying, like spinal uh, deformities and things. And it just, it was interesting to me because I doubt that there's that much, that high percentage of deformities in, in wild fish. Uh, it has something to do with the excessive intensive breeding and confinement. Probably so, yes. Yeah. It also affects, again, we have the bycatch with the wild caught fish and with the factory farm fish, they're also killing animals because they don't want them um, trying to get the, the fish, break into the pens like they're shooting seals and birds. Um, cormorants out in the Northwest, the, the government is hiring people to go out and shoot these beautiful cormorants. There are these beautiful big seabirds and sea lions. You know, it, over in the UK, the government gives them permission to shoot the seals over there. So, you know, you're also, if you're buying farmed fish, and now they say about half of the fish people are eating are, are farmed fish, you know, you're also contributing to the killing of these other animals as well. So Mary, can you talk about the sustainable labels that we see sometimes on fish, these certified labels from environmental organizations, and, and they're primarily focused on environmental issues. And I'm, I'm just curious how accurate and truthful they are, and, and is welfare ever a consideration with these labels? Yes, um, you're right. Most of them do focus on environmental concerns. What they're really concerned about is conserving enough of these fish populations so that they can continue exploiting them. That's really right. the, the main concern. Right. Their standards are dubious. They're, they're constantly being challenged and they're, you know, allowing fisheries that are, are shown not to be sustainable. Given that it's so difficult to to accurately act, assess a population of, of wild animals, and the continual flux of the state of the oceans with um, climate change and uh, ocean acidification and other things that are affect pollution that are affecting the state of the ocean. It's so hard to accurately assess how many, what the, the population of a wild, wild species is. But as far as welfare, there's very little attention to welfare for these fish. Actually, in the UK, there are standards and uh, the RSPCA does have a, a certification program for fish, but there was recently uh, an investigation of rainbow trout farming over in the UK, and they found that um, all kinds of horrific treatment of these fish and problematic behavior by the employees. I mean, these animals are being kicked and stomped on and thrown and, and just treated in such cruel ways. And one of the farms actually is featured on the cover of the RSPCA's guide to, to fish farm standards. So it really, it's um, a, a feel-good thing for consumers to think that they can responsibly consume fish or other animals. And as you know, Hope, you've written a book on this. There's really no humane way to to raise and, and to commodify animals. Anytime you're commodifying sentient beings, there's going to be needless animal suffering and death. 
I'm curious how you feel about the killing and eating of crustaceans like shrimp and lobsters and crabs and and also mussels and oysters and clams. This is of course, you know, a gray area for some people. They're not technically fish. So how do you feel about killing and eating this other marine life? Well, they are animals. And unlike plants, they do have a nervous system. They might have a, a basic nervous system, but they do have a nervous system. And they respond to distressing and painful stimuli. There's compelling scientific evidence that they are sentient. And they deserve any the benefit of any doubt anyone might have that they are sentient. We don't need to eat them. All of the nutrients derived from animals can easily be obtained from plant sources and more healthfully and more humanely and more environmentally responsibly. So we don't need to be eating them. They're also, you know, they are, are a food source for other animals. For example, here in Maryland, the oyster population has been going down historically. It's been, it's about 1% of its historic level. And that's because of pollution and also over collection for human consumption and disease. But because it's been going down there, they and they want to continue catch, um, collecting them. So they're, they're trying to fight against standards that would, you know, put limits on that collection ability. So they're also scapegoating other animals, including cow nose rays. So here they were actually in Maryland, they were having tournaments to kill these rays. They're like little manta rays that come up and they stay mostly on the surface of the water. So they're an easy target. And uh, they were just having these bow fishing contests where they would go out and shoot them with arrow and, and haul them up and beat them with a metal rod and throw them in a barrel to suffocate. And uh, they would, you know, have a contest and give money to whoever got the, the heaviest rays. And they were blaming the rays for the oyster population crashing. But science showed that the oysters make a very tiny fraction of the, the rays diet. And the rays are one of the most vulnerable fish to to overfishing because they don't um, mate, they don't reproduce until they're older, and uh, they only have one pup per year, so they're very vulnerable to overfishing. But they were just going out there and having a heyday, just shooting these rays for just for fun, and, and saying they were doing a public service because the rays were, were, they were blaming the rays for the oyster populations going down. So, you know, other animals are dependent on these animals. They're having a hard enough time surviving as it is with pollution and climate change with the ocean and all. We don't need to eat them. Yeah, that's a great uh, answer that I hadn't really thought of, is that these this is food for other animals, too, that they need. And, you know, they're already facing so many issues with that, that we have caused with pollution and global warming, and we shouldn't be taking their food as well. Uh, but I do also like the benefit of the doubt argument. Basically, uh, these are animals and they are animals and they do have nervous systems, they can move, and we do need to give them the benefit of the doubt that they are sentient beings that uh, deserve to live free from our manipulation and killing and uh, everything else. So, yeah. Right. And, you know, um, hope they're, they tend to be smaller animals. So it takes a lot more of them to make a meal. So, you know, you're causing all this many more animals to suffer. Also in regard to shrimp, in addition to, you know, humane concerns for the shrimp themselves, there's also the bycatch issue. Trawling for shrimp has the highest bycatch rate. You're catching along with the shrimp, you're catching so many other animals along with them. And again, throwing them dead or dying back into the water. Someone explained uh, if you were to show a representation of all the animals caught 
with for a plate full of shrimp, that plate would have to be five feet wide just to show all the anim- other animals caught with them. Mm, what a waste. Totally. So I want to talk about fish oil supplements because they're, it's really popular people thinking they're getting, needing to get their omega threes, uh, with the fish oil. And I remember when I worked at a natural food store many years ago in the nineties, it was a vegetarian store. There was, we didn't sell any meat or fish other than fish oil supplements. I mean, that was like the exception because they were so popular and people were demanding them so much. And this industry I know just kills billions of fish. So can you talk about the fish oil industry? Yes, I believe it is the most popular dietary supplement, fish oil. Yeah. And the way they they obtain it is they catch so many little fish, um, sardines and anchovies, those type of, of little fish primarily, and they process them into oil. Menhaden is another one. Such a huge number of fish is being used for this. And again, these are fishes that are like the basic food sources for so many other aquatic animals. And they, they show that, you know, fish oil really is not beneficial for human health. For the most part, there's really very little benefit to it. And also it's it's actually potentially hazardous because it can easily go rancid. And if it does, it creates free radicals, which are potentially carcinogenic. So not a, only is it not really healthful for us, it's it's potentially very harmful. And Omegas, we can easily get omegas from plant sources. There are walnuts are a good source or flaxseed, flaxseed oil, chia seeds, hemp seeds. Or um, if you want a concentrated dose, you can get algae supplements, which is how fish get their omegas. Right. You can supplement with a plant source, with the uh, algae and and, uh, seaweed, marine sources of omegas that are not fish, that are plant-based, right? Right. And then you don't have the rancidity problem so much. And also um, we won't have the contamination with mercury or dioxins or PCBs or so many of these other contaminants that not only contaminate fish, but also, of course, fish oil. Mary, I recently learned that sturgeons are farmed for their eggs for caviar. And of course, caviar is fish eggs. And I never had really thought about how they obtain those eggs. I, it really sounds similar to breeding chickens for their eggs. Can you talk about this industry, the caviar industry? Yes. Well, initially it was done, or historically it was done by catching wild sturgeons. And they were catching them to such a degree, catching and killing them. They would just catch them and, and uh, cut them open and take their eggs and throw the, the fish back in to die, or if they weren't already dead. And they did that to such an extent that they were actually became endangered so it became illegal actually to do that. So then they began farming sturgeon, which they're, you know, they again, they're a type of fish that take a long time to come to maturity. And the way they would then, you know, kill them and take their eggs, or they have come up with another method now where they cut them open and do a basically a cesarean section and take the eggs and sew the animal back up again and try to keep them alive. But that, you know, they're very prone to infection and oftentimes they die. Or they are now doing this other thing called milking the, the sturgeon, where they, they give them a hormone injection to try to get them to develop at a certain point. And then they will take them out of the water and push on their bellies and, and push the eggs out of them, which, as you can imagine, is extremely stressful, no doubt painful to the fish and also suffocating in the meantime. They, they tend to be large fish, so you know they're, they're, there's no way they can replicate the natural 
conditions for the fish. They're kept in these little little tanks. And uh, even though even if they're not killing them, they're keeping in the, these horrible conditions for, for years. And it, again, it's for a, a luxury product. Nobody needs to eat caviar. If you do eat caviar, there are vegan sources of it. And you said there is vegan caviar? Yes, IKEA makes a, a very inexpensive brand of vegan caviar. Here's another one called Caviar. There are actually a number of different um, vegan caviar brands. And if you go to the Fish Feel website, we have a section on vegan seafood. And there are companies that sell vegan seafood, including vegan caviar, and also um, hundreds of recipes if you want to make your own, including recipes for vegan caviar. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. I had no idea. <laughs> I love it. So we're seeing something really interesting happening in the animal advocacy movement now, and that is that people are engaging in fish rescue. And there's actually a fish rescue starting here in the Bay Area in California, where advocates are going, they're going into pet stores and, and seeing, of course, there's always sick fish in the pet stores where you see fish that are not doing well. And they're asking the managers if they can take those fish home for free and let them, you know, recover and live their lives out. I've heard of them also getting fish from like Craigslist and where fish are just being given away for free. Like someone just wants to get rid of their tank and doesn't want the fish anymore. And so people are rescuing them and, and letting them, you know, recover and this is just a really interesting development in our movement. What do you think about this, about fish rescue? I think it's great. You know, of course, I think it's it's wonderful. There actually is a, a Facebook page called Vegans with Fishes, and they have a lot of great advice on there and people who have fish that need a home or they are looking for more fish to keep their other fish companions company. Actually, Pet Value just went out of business in the United States. And there was a, a real concerted effort to make sure that there weren't any fish left over that were going to be just, you know, cruelly disposed of. And they were able, I believe, to get all the fish that any fish that who were left, they were able to ob obtain. It's so much better. I mean, if people want to keep fish, you know, of course, we're opposed to fish captivity, but there are so many fish who are in need of, of rescue who already exist. The wild caught fish trade for the aquarium industry is so cruel and, and really wiping out a lot of fish populations or really, you know, decimating a lot of wild fish populations. There's actually a new documentary called The Dark Hobby by Robert Wintner. He's a, a fish advocate in Hawaii, and he's um, put together a documentary showing just how, how harmful the industry is. And in addition to, they're also commercial breeders of fish. You know, again, anytime you're commodifying animals, there's going to be needless animal suffering and, and death. You know, so many animals die in the industry for, for aquarium fishes. So if you want to keep a fish and you can provide a decent home for them, the thing to do is to rescue a fish. You can, some animal shelters have fishes available for adoption. There are fish rescue groups, different types, beta fish, goldfish, koi, it's wonderful to give a, a, an animal in need of a home to provide them with a good home. So if you want to keep fish and you can provide a good home for them, that is the way to go about it. Yeah, I'd always thought how wonderful it would be to have fish, but of course I didn't want to buy fish. And now I am considering connecting with some of these rescue groups to maybe take in a fish that has been rescued and needs a home. It just sounds really cool. I, I think that would be a wonderful thing to do. And I'm, I'm excited that this is happening. 
you mentioned a couple of things and I'll, I'll put them in the show notes, but one was a, a film. What was it called again? The Dark Hobby. The Dark Hobby. Okay. That's yeah. great. Uh, we'll get a link to that and put that in the show notes as well as maybe the uh, Facebook group that you mentioned. Uh, it's it's really wonderful to see. There, there seems to be a swelling of interest and uh, advocacy around fish uh, just in the last maybe five years or so. And I love seeing that. It's it's such a great development. What do you, What do you think about that? You're right. I'm so glad to see it happening also. It's actually more happening in Europe than here. It's just really starting to happen here, but Europe is ahead of us on that. There's actually an organization, World Day for the End of Fishing. It's uh, held in March, World Day for the End of Fishing. And they have events all across, Like uh, I think 81 countries were involved last year. They just have outreach events and video presentations and lectures and all kinds of ways to try to get across to the public that fishing is cruel and unnecessary. And uh, yes, you know, really a lot of animal protection organizations are beginning to advocate for fishes, which is wonderful. And even, you know, in, even in popular media, Finding Nemo, was a, a movie that really the slogan that came from that was fish are friends, not food. So hopefully, you know, that has had a good effect on a lot of children and adults who have seen that. And there's also a, a PBS show, Splash and Bubbles, which is really a great ch- children's show about factual information about fish presented in a kid-friendly manner. And also there's been so much scientific, you know, studies and research and information coming out in the last decade or two showing that fish are sentient, that they do feel pain and and fear and they they can suffer. As with any other sentient beings, they are as deserving of our respect and compassion. And now with all these wonderful vegan seafood options that are available, there are so many companies that are coming out with vegan seafood products. They're they're already available and more and more coming out all the time and now cell-based seafood. So hopefully that will replace a lot of the fish and other animals used for pet food and for human food. You know, there's vegan seafood cookbooks. It's just anything you have a hankering for, there's a vegan seafood, there's a vegan version of that's better for us. It's better for the other animals. It's better for the environment. It really just makes sense. There's now a big push for fish welfare, which is good that there's some standards being set so that just not anything goes or not anything is considered acceptable. At the same time, I am concerned about the interest in fish welfare over shadowing abolition, because again, there's really no humane way, of course, to to use animals for food. So um, while I'm glad to see the the interest in fish welfare, I am concerned that it that we we keep the goal of getting people to stop eating fish and stop fishing. You know, something that really concerns me are these youth fishing contests they have. There's such a push now to get children and and also women, pretty much anybody they can, to just encourage them to go fishing. They actually have these um, so-called fishing rodeos where they really, you know, try to get kids to come to these tournaments and they give them free equipment to use and prizes and everything, trying to encourage them to torture and kill fish. That's what you're doing when you're fishing. You're torturing and killing fish. Even if you throw them back, it doesn't mean they're going to survive the the injury of being impaled and hauled through the water and suffocated and manhandled and thrown back in the water just because they swim away doesn't mean they're going to survive. You know, they could linger in agony for days or weeks and, and many do die from that. So teaching people that it's okay to torture and kill animals for fun is so antithetical to animal rights. So I think we really need to have a concerted effort against 
against this. And it, it's so widespread. Ice fishing now is so popular. And just with a pandemic, a lot of people consider fishing a way to go out and be by yourself and have a good time, but you're having a good time at the expense of somebody else. And that's never ethical to do. We actually have a book, An Underwater Friend, about a boy who goes fishing with his father and, and comes to realize that how cruel it is and befriends a fish. So and we have a coloring books and fact sheets and all sorts of things. So we really want to make a big push to not only get people to stop eating fish, but to let the public realize that fishing, the fish feel, they are sentient beings, they deserve respect and compassion, and fishing is animal abuse. So Mary, I ask all my guests this, and I want to ask you, what gives you hope for the future? Well, first off, I'm just so glad I was born in the era of animal rights. When I was a kid, there was no such thing as far as I knew, of animal rights. So I was just so delighted to find an animal rights community. And I'm so glad to see how it's growing. Um, so I'm, I'm so glad that animals are getting as much attention as they are getting. As far as fish go, I'm, I'm so glad that so much attention is finally, they're finally getting attention. To me, it's sort of like chickens, how they were maybe 25 years ago, and nobody really paid much attention at all to chickens. And I think when Karen went to start United Poultry Concern, she was actually discouraged from doing so because they said nobody was going to care about chickens. But, you know, it's up to us as animal advocates to make people care. And I think the tension now is being raised for fish. They're sort of where chickens were 25 years ago. They're just starting to come into the spotlight now. And there's so much great science backing us up that, that fish are sentient, that they do feel fear and pain. So we have so much great information on our side. There seems to be such an interest even in the public or, or reception. You know, we've gotten a very good reception for fish feel. I think when you bring this to people's attention, um, you know, good-hearted people are going to care. So it's, it's really up to us to, to get them to care. Vegan seafood, you know, is really increasingly popular. Restaurants are, are selling it. There are some restaurants that are, are exclu exclusively sell vegan seafood. For example, Beyond Sushi up in New York has a number of different um, restaurants. It's commercially available as well. A lot of companies are, are making it available now and more and more are coming out all the time. And there's millions of dollars being invested in vegan seafood development. So hopefully a lot of pet food will be replaced now that instead of using fish and other animals. And there are vegan seafood cookbooks and uh, recipes on our website. We have hundreds of recipes and um, links to companies that sell vegan seafood. Just a general increase in awareness and concern for fishes. So I am hopeful that that um, things are improving for fish and they're finally beginning to get the attention and concern and respect that they deserve. Yeah, it's wonderful to see. Do you have a favorite seafood, uh, fish-free seafood food that you like that you could recommend? You mean commercial? Yeah, something that you would get at the store or in the frozen yeah. department. Well, what seems to be very popular with you, I don't like to pick favorites, you know, because I like them all to do well. But what seems to be so popular and so widely available are Gardein fish fillets. And they also make um, mini crabless cakes. And if you serve them with cocktail sauce or vegan tartar sauce, um, lemon, or what you would ordinarily serve, you know, fish with, it's so similar to how fish, how, how the flavors that you're looking for. Anything you have a hankering for, there's a vegan version and they're so, they, they, they become, they've so easily replicated flavors and textures. You're really missing nothing but the cruelty. 
Mary, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been really wonderful and so informative. And I appreciate what you're doing for the fishes. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Hope. And you know, there are so many issues affecting fishes and you have two episodes in your series that are just fantastic. And I would really refer people to listen to those as well because you cover it so beautifully. You really do. Thank you. Yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes to those two podcasts. Thank you, Mary. Well, thank you, Hope. Thank you for listening to the Hope for the Animals podcast. If you're new to the podcast, welcome, and I hope you'll add us to your listening library. If you've been tuning in for a while, thank you. And I would so appreciate it if you would go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a five-star rating and maybe write a review. That helps us to get our compassionate message to even more people. There's a lot of great resources in the show notes, uh, more info on fish. If you want to hear more from me on fish, please listen to my double feature on fish in the Reason for Vegan series that Mary mentioned at the end of the interview. I have links to those podcasts in the show notes. And be sure to check out Fishfield's website. They have a, a wealth of information there. Let's educate ourselves and tell others about the massive massacre that's happening in our oceans to feeling, thinking, innocent individual beings, the marine life of our world. Please don't eat seafood and live vegan.